Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Aaron Foley's first big show business credit wasn't performing comedy, but rather playing a Rolling Stone magazine fact-checker in the Cameron Crowe movie about his teen years called Almost Famous. So let's get to the facts. Foley's performed on Conan, Arsenio Hall, and started her own half-hour Comedy Central special. She has written on comedy shows for network and cable TV, and starred in a series of interstitials for the Lifetime channel called Mixologist in a Movie. Her podcast on the All Things Comedy Network, Sports Without Balls, is moving up to the big leagues in the summer of 2019, and she just released a new stand-up album, Deep Dive, on 800-pound Gorilla Records. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it! So, Aaron Foley, last things first. On your new album, Deep Dive... You talk about having uh, a crappy job. Was that job that you reference at the advertising firm in, in New York City, was that your last day job? I don't know if that was my last day. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was one of my first after waiting tables. I think it was my first attempt at an, at an actual office job. Okay. Um, and after that, I did one more... Uh, attempt at an office job. But the other one wasn't, like, they made me let, uh, they gave me my own hours, and it was just kind of like grant research stuff, so mm. it, was, it wasn't it was so bad. But the advertising job was, was like, it was like a real job. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, people were like, all the women in the aside office. From like, the, aside yeah. from the hose. Yeah. Aside from the pantyhose. Oh, God. It was just, you know what it was? I was, I was young, and, uh, um, all the women, like they looked, uh, you know, they had, pr- this was like their life, right? So mm-hmm. they had like professional New York city, like good looking advertising attire. <laughs> and I had like a pair of shit black pants that I like waited tables in and probably like two shirts. And, uh, it was just intimidating. Like that part was really, I worked in the casting office of the uh it was gray's advertise gray gray advertising um but my group was they were just they were wonderful people um but i just you know i was doing stand-up at night and they thought i had a um they thought i had a drug problem and they did a little intervention like seven months in because i was so tired because i started (laughs) stand-up What's it like to have an intervention when your problem isn't drugs, but it's stand-up comedy? I was, I didn't know what they were trying to do in the, you know, because they were just, they were so good to me. But like the first couple minutes in, I was like, oh my God, they think, they think I have like a drug problem. They're like, you nod off at your desk. You're, you're always coming in the last second. You're just like, and I go, oh my God. I was like, no, no, no. I, I honestly am just, I like to drink, but I've never really done any drugs. I, I do stand-up comedy, and they were thrilled. They were so happy. Is that part of the reason why you ghosted them? Yeah. I was like, peace out. Um, yeah, that was one of the... I wish my parents had the same reaction when I told them I was doing stand-up. But What was your last day job then? My last day job was I worked for 
um, this nonprofit education company. Okay. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. They paid paid terribly. Um, But like I could go, hey, I have to leave from one to two. And they're like, okay, just stay to like six or whatever. So that that lasted probably two years, two, two and a half years. What was the moment when you realized you didn't have to go? As soon as I could barely afford my life. Like, as soon as I could just pay the bills, uh, I, I'd go, So it wasn't like you booked a huge gig or... I, I was, was like, I just could just scrape by enough. And you're like, hey, yeah, I'm I could just make it to, like, Sunday. And I was like, bye-bye. Because it, then you weren't... I wasn't making any money from stand-up, as you do. I still haven't. Um, but uh, I did a bunch of, like, commercial stuff and, like, odd jobs in the city and... Um, I could just kind of, and then college gigs and, you know, I could just scrape a living and, uh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Now, because you're such an avid sports fan, you have a podcast about sports. Yes. Sports with balls. Sports without balls. Without balls. (laughs) That's an important qualifier. I was like, I'm going to actually correct that one. (laughs) Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) You know, as a white man, I feel... I feel, I feel an, it's an honor to be corrected. <laughs> These are the days of correction. Correcting. As long as I'm not canceled, I'd rather be corrected than yes. canceled. It's a good, it's a good distinction. Um, was, I'm guessing sports was the first dream before comedy? Sports is still the dream. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to say because I didn't know. I think if I knew back then that I could probably maybe do something in sport, I never wanted to be like a. I just love sports and I played sports, so I never really thought about sports as a career. Um, well, I as was a woman. It's tougher to have a career. Yeah, I, I never thought about like, oh, I'll be a journalist or reporter or something like that. Um, it really didn't even. I mean, still to this day, I love it so much. But if they were like, hey, here's move to Bristol, Connecticut, work for ESPN, right. and and sit at a desk in a pencil skirt and tell you the scores. Like, no. You know what I mean? Because I can't say what I want to say. So, the, you know what I mean? Like, I, and also it's Bristol, Connecticut. Even- <laughs> you know what I, I It would have to be a job. It would have to be a job where I could... I could Even share my the opinions. World Cup this summer. Uh, well, I could cover. The, I am going to be covering the Women's World Cup, but uh, uh, just uh, just for some smaller outlets. But um, you know what I mean? It's fun. The podcast or a potential show. You know, you got to be able to as a comic after all these years of saying anything I want. It's you know I don't want to just go the Trailblazers won by eight mm-hmm. points. You know what I mean? You want to go. Holy hell, that guy just you know you know, suck so bad or whatever, you know what I mean? But I, I, my, my interest lies mostly in, uh, in women's sports, um, more so than, I mean, although I'm a huge, I'm a huge everything fan, but, uh, that's what it would be. I, I, I that would be a dream job, co- more covering women's sports. Do you feel if title nine had come along, uh, earlier that you would have actually tried to pursue a career, perf- uh, as an athlete? Well, no, I was, I for sure wasn't good enough, but, um, I did play, I I got some scholarship offers to play D2 in, in college Mm -hmm. basketball, but I would be sitting on the bench, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I play, I wanted playing D3 so I could actually play, you know what I mean? But I just love to play. I played everything. I played like four or five sports in high school and chose just basketball instead of soccer for, for college. But, um, I guess, I guess I, the title nine thing I think would have been different if, you know, in kind of 80s, 90s, 
women were like had a ton more opportunities like even talking about sports i think that that would have probably been okay. a game so it's not changer a case that if you were younger you would be aiming for the wnba or the i would i would i would have team. i would have been laughed out of the gym <laughs> but um <laughs> i would have been like can i be your mascot can i just like hang out with you guys uh like i'm going to see uscla um women's softball it's a super regionals this weekend and uh you know through a friend of a friend i met um uh, the the assistant coach and uh, two assistant coaches and the head of player programming or whatever and so I text them I was like do you, hey do you have any extra tickets and they're like oh my god yes thanks for supporting us and I'm like oh my god so I'm like can I go on the field like they have they have <laughs> no idea they think it's like exciting that I'm a fan and I'm like no this is the greatest thing that I'm texting you and I can have tickets for this game so that's been a really fun world to mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know breach how did the idea of performing on a stage substitute for that idea of performing on a field um it was just such a random set of events like uh it's a long story but the very short bullet point version is i hurt my back playing basketball in college i couldn't play Mm. Um, I couldn't study abroad for financial reasons. Like I went to a college where everybody went abroad junior year. So I came back and I literally, for the first time in my life, couldn't physically get on a court or a field or do anything. I was rehabbing my back and my friend was like, you should do improv comedy. You should try out for this improv troupe. And I was like, you're out of your mind. And she signed me up and here's the, come join us at four o'clock, you know? And I was like, maybe I should just do this, you know? So I wound up doing it and getting in. I did improv for a couple years. And this was in? This was at Dickinson College where I went. Oh, to, yeah, 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 in Pennsylvania, okay. um, mid-90s. And then I moved to New York City, and I just was like, oh, I have a family of teachers. I was like, I'll teach. And I was like, well, before I, like, lock everything down, I'll just, I'll just, like, wait tables. I always wanted to live in New York City and try the improv thing and was in a terrible improv troupe. Was just, it was like six o'clock shows. I mean, terrible. But I, it was at a, a comedy club. So then I just okay. started watching stand up, and I was like, should I just try it? You know, and that's and then I just kind of just didn't stop. You know, so I never planned any of this. It was just kind of random. What was it like then to have your first big thing be not in stand up, but be in a major motion picture, almost famous? Uh, that was. Bizarre. Again, like I just these things happen and you can't really explain them. I one still, of my all time favorite movies as a uh, as a journalist. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was gonna say as a journalist. Yeah. As the enemy. The enemy. <laughs> <laughs> we are making this crap up. Um, again, I'm not an actor. I don't think I've ever acted since. Uh, there are quite a few comedians in that. Movie, yeah. Though. Is that how you ended up in it? Yeah. It was one of these things where. Um, I just randomly had a, a manager like early on when when you as a comic you really don't need one but it was New York and I was like okay mm-hmm. uh, and they're like take acting classes and I was like oh my god no <laughs> so then I found myself in an acting class and uh, it was good you know back then it's like I think it's always good when people go I just I say yes I just say it. and you're like all right just you know sometimes you got to say no mm-hmm. I think as you get older the most wonderful thing is saying no. <laughs> But in my 20s, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just, yeah, I said yes to some acting classes, and my manager's like, try out for this movie. And, I, and it was it was because Cameron Crowe loves stand-ups, and he loves improvising scenes. 
So uh, it was, and I randomly had a sail uh, sail rack velour shirt from the Gap. It was five dollars. I just liked it. I wore it to the audition. It turned out it was a seventies period piece. Um, you didn't know that when you went. No idea. They made me wa- wear the shirt in the in the movie. Okay. That was a shirt I bought from the Gap for five dollars. I just uh, you're in the offices of Rolling Stone magazine. Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, he was just like the nicest dude, and he just made you feel like you've done this your entire life. Uh, and he loved stand-ups, and he just loved working with stand-ups. So you just it just yeah, kind of happened with them and all sorts yeah of yeah roles where you don't even know yeah and and I think I did. Mark Marin had a, I think it was a, a WTF podcast years ago. He did a live show when I was on the show. Well, he, he uses his yeah. most famous clip for the theme. Oh, does he? Yeah, oh Lock the God. Gates. You can see how many of I've listened to, even though I, I am a fan. Um, I mean, because, Jimmy Fallon doesn't talk about it. For it. Yeah. Well, he's, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, he's what he's, he's, he's got some other stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I remember Mark being like, this is years ago before he did more acting. Okay. He's like, wow, our acting career's really soared after that. I was like, I just, like, I just keep feeling like I stumble, I back into all of these things, but it was, it was awesome. When you saw yourself in that movie, did you think, oh, this is going to be the start of something else? Or were you so concentrated on stand up that you didn't? Yeah, I was just. You were still no acting classes. Obviously. No, no, I got this part, but yeah, that's not going to be my path. You know, at the time, everyone was like, "Okay, now you move to L.A. and blah blah blah," because we had, we'd filmed it in L.A. But I had just—I mean, I just had started stand up. I was a couple years into stand up, and around that same time, I was—I had, you know, I was only in New York maybe three or four years, and I was also at the same trying to figure out if I was gay, which takes so many gin and tonics, like buckets of gin and tonics. So there was. So you were on the fence about it. I, I was like, well, <laughs> I wasn't. I was. I was sort of in denial, and then I was like, yes, but then you're so overwhelmed. So I just knew New York. I had to be in New York. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I personally, there's no way I could have just bounced to LA and been like, I'm an actor. I had my sisters in New York City. Um, everybody I knew was in New York City, and you know, I was living in the West Village, which is like the mecca of gayness. So. To me, I wouldn't, a thousand, I would never, I would do it again the same way, you know. So how did you decide it was time to move to Los Angeles? Uh, I was just getting, you know, stand-up for me is, like, I'll always love stand-up. I'll always want to do stand-up. But I've never been the comic that has been like, you know, living in New York, people are like, I get up seven times a night. (laughs) And you're like, God, that sounds like the worst thing ever. I have never been a comic that was like, I did 36 spots last week. Um, if I do like four spots, I'm like, this is an aggressive week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had but that. But like you said, that's with age yeah. too. The idea yeah. of, oh, yeah. I hear some rain outside. I guess I'll just stay in. Today. Oh, I just. I mean, there's sprinkling. Oh, it is sprinkling? Yeah. There's a waterfall so out there. So I might as well just yeah. stay inside. Yeah, that's it. I, I just. I I love stand up, but I always knew that stand up was not like enough. You know, it didn't make me. Um, and it it wasn't like it. It was part of my job, but I just felt like I wanted to. Uh, I'd do something else, and I thought maybe I will act. Maybe I'll do um, a hosting gig. Maybe I'll write. I just felt like, and I was like getting really burnt out in New York. And so I was like, I'll go for a couple years, fully intending to move back to New York City. And it's been 12 years, and I have not moved back. Uh, 
So I've been able to do a lot of different things out here in L.A., as well as then becoming like uh, very much on the road as a comic, which, um, again, I wouldn't change, but I'm happy to get off the road at any point in time. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's been kind of this long, windy road. How, how often are you on the road now? Um, I'm on the road a lot. I mean, I just was on the road for three weeks, got back last night. Uh, I'm on the road, I would say... You didn't fly back and forth between those? You just went from one city to the next? Well, it was a two-week military tour. I'd never done a military tour before in my career. Where did you go? We went to Niger, uh, Egypt, and Bahrain, which was a little, uh, little crazy. All comics or variety where it's musical acts? All comics, and I didn't know two of them, and we kept saying that this... I We were all so lucky because we got along. Carmen Lynch, who's a really good oh, friend yeah, of mine. Of course, you know Carmen. Um, we've known each other for a really long time, and she called me up in January. She's like, let's do this in May, and I was like, no, I'm going to die. And she's like, <laughs> I do the them all the time. But then she said Egypt, and I was like, as a gay lady, like, when am I floating around Egypt, you know, on someone else's time? And I always wanted to, like, you know, my dad was in the military, cousins in the military, my sister's boyfriend is in the military. So it wasn't about not supporting the troops, obviously. I just, um, I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't really gravitate. I was on the road so much, and then weeks of military, I don't know. I, I just never did, and I thought, I should just do this. And then I went with uh, Nathan McIntosh and Jim Twos, and okay. they now they're like brothers. I am obsessed with That's them. That's a good group. They're wonderful. Yeah, I, I met them in the airport at yeah, JFK. I can see you guys get along. Yeah, they're great. Nathan was just kept me laughing so much. He's he's a giant child, man child. I love him so much. And Jim, I just feel like like. I called Jim the silent assassin because he would be quiet, and then he would say a couple things that were like the funniest things I'd ever heard. I just. They were. It was such a good team. It was such a good team. Were you able to see any of the majestic sights of Egypt, or were you more well, we, sequestered? Yeah, we were. We were sequestered, but um, the uh, the guy that planned the tour mm-hmm. should be fired. Uh, and we had so many ridiculous flights. We had thirteen uh-huh. flights in twelve days. It was insane. I don't know. That's why I'm like this team was magical um, and wine. Uh, but we had a seven-hour layover in the Cairo airport. Okay. We landed at 6.30 Sunday morning, and we took an Uber to the pyramids. <laughs> and we were there for 50 minutes mm-hmm. and then took an Uber back to the airport. How much is an Uber to the pyramids? You wouldn't believe how cheap it was. It was something like 25 bucks. Yeah. It was crazy. If you're in L.A. or New York. It would have been like $500. Yeah. We wouldn't. It, it, it had to be like a I would, magical sequence. Like, I would sequence. love that, that price to take an Uber to JFK. Yeah. But I can't. Well, $80. Yeah. From my, my girlfriend lives in New York. $80 to get to JFK. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we go to the pyramids for round trip, like 45 bucks. That's and we're like, deal. this is amazing. Yeah, so that was, you know, that was insane. What did you learn about performing for the troops uh, as a gig? Yeah. Compared to, say, corporate gigs or colleges or... It felt other... like a it felt like a college gig. It really did. It felt like a college well, a gig with meaning. Age, I guess. Yeah, it, it felt like a college gig with, with meaning. Yes. Um, but they have guns. It was so intimidating. Um, it was just... Uh, First of all, the amount of guns. I'm never around guns. And we were around so many guns. Uh, it was. your cats with guns. It was, yes, those are my sister's cats. Um, 
long story. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, it it on the CD. It was, (laughs) yeah, 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 that is true. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I have to say it was, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard gig because it was a, it was a great gig because meeting, meeting the men and women in the, in the military was Mm. the, the absolute highlight. Everyone was super cool to talk to. When you do a military tour, or at least on this tour, it starts at like 9 a.m. And you, you're working all day. You're, you're meeting everyone. You're finding, like, we went to, like, the bomb squad. Then we go to, like, the drone guy. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. I thought, free during the day, and then we perform at night. I had no idea. <laughs> and so at first, our, I mean, the schedule was crazy, but that, those were the best times. It was just, it was talking to these men and women, seeing about their day, seeing what they go through, trying to, like, you know, crack jokes and... um that was, you know, that was an experience of a lifetime. The actual performing, we did 20, 25 minutes each um, to, again, a room full of like 80, I would say 85% dudes that were like 23. <laughs> that was tough. I couldn't, it was like no politics, no religion. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in countries that stone people for, you know, yeah. being, uh, you know, a lady having an opinion in the gay stuff. I just I kept screaming out, I'm going to die when I leave the base, you know, like, <laughs> well, thankfully you have lots of opinions on sports. So. Yes, I did sports. I dusted off uh, my parents, Mary and Dick Foley jokes. I, uh, I was like in, in the well of, in the well of jokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being in LA for 12 years and not wanting to be an actor. Yeah. Necessarily. Um, did that make you want to focus more on writing or on offshoot projects? Yeah, like I mean, starting a podcast or yeah, it really has. It's you know, it's like you have this plan and then you know you kind of set it on fire. But you know, <laughs> as a comic, you just get thrown into all these different situations. So the first like the first X amount of years, it was kind of like commercial stuff, mm-hmm. like a little bit of acting, hosting stuff, and then I just realized that like. And then on the road, right? So you, you achieve these goals of like, now I can headline all these clubs throughout the country and makes you such a better comic. And then the last couple of years, I'm like, please God, get me off the road, you know? So then I started doing punch up work on sitcoms through okay. friends. And that kind of was a game changer because it felt, it feels like a team. It honestly, like the sports without balls podcast that has gotten like a ton of opportunities just from doing a podcast, just because I love to talk about sports and then the punch up work to like more writing rooms that feels like, okay, that'll be, that's my future. And, uh, I love, I love them both. So, so that I'm that's what, that's what kept me in LA. Yeah. And you know, because if you're not doing that, if you're a road comic in LA, live somewhere real cheap. Right. You know what I mean? You could literally live anywhere. Yeah. It almost feels like if you go to the clubs, you're, you don't know any of the people there. Yeah. So I'll do local, you know, I love doing local shows in LA, but, um, my whole plan is I just need to, uh, I just need to stay in LA. I'm just, I, it's not, it's not even the stand up. It's, it's the, it's the amount of flights. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, like I had to stop flying United cause I would just get up at like, I'd have the same United flight and I'd be like, Oh, oh God, <laughs> like, I just feel like I was like cracking. I just, I'm so done. I feel very grateful for the opportunities, but I'm like, just, I have to stop. It's a lot of deja vu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, like, Oh my God, again? this is like 10 C United 7am flight. Like I, it was, you know what I mean? Like you're like, I, I can't, I, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. Like, I don't know how people keep doing it. 
Like I've done it for like six or seven years now, pretty consistently. People do it for like 25 years of being on the road. I don't know. I guess there's people with regular jobs who commute by airplane. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I, it's basically me and traveling salesmen. Like I've met more sales dudes on flights and then I tell them all that I work for a nonprofit education company. Has the, as I don't talk to a lot of people who do a lot of road work these days. So has the has the situation on the ground improved at all in terms of lodging, in terms of pay, in terms of um, how club owners and bookers are? Well, some some things I've heard say it's actually worse for middles and for you know I I I think a lot of people grew up like. As their stand-up kept going, if you, I was in a particular situation in New York City where you didn't travel. Mm -hmm. You know, so the first eight, nine years of doing stand-up, I didn't leave the city. Maybe for some, I did some college gigs, Mm -hmm. but like everybody else was driving to gigs, you know, working their way up to feature. Then you, you know what I mean? Then you're driving three, like I didn't have any of that. So after I left New York and then doing spots in LA, I, the only traveling I did was I'd open for Tom Papa, who's one of my best friends. I met Jeff Garland at the comedy store. He took mm-hmm. me on the road. So, um, and you're in a movie with him and I'm in a, Oh yeah. Yeah. And handsome. Yeah. He's just, he's such a big bowl of silly. I can't even <laughs> tell you that dude is just, I love him. Uh, so, so I had those opportunities and then club saw me that way. And then, uh, I had, you know, Conan, I had a lot of, a bunch of credits. So I, I never did like featuring level at clubs, you know, because I had done probably 12 years of stand up. So you didn't have a lot of comedy condo. So I didn't, experience. yeah, I didn't, I didn't have it. So, but when I do a club, um, and they go, here's the condo, I go, no, I'm, and I, I literally write back, I'm a lady. <laughs> So I do hotels. I, I absolutely <laughs> don't. I don't even. It's not even a consideration. I think I did one condo, which was this beautiful apartment, like in Newfoundland or oh. something. But I just well, literally write back, "I'm a lady." <laughs> that's all I've done for the past eight years. I go, "I'm sorry, you'll be booking me at a hotel. I am a lady. Period." <laughs> and that's, that seemed to work. Yeah, just yeah. be direct. Yeah, be yeah. strong. Yeah, the Hold money on yeah the money on the road is 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 terrible. The experiences are great. Um, you have to pick and choose, uh, and you just have to. It really depends how really what your goals are. You know, you can, I could keep going, you know, I could keep going, but I just don't want to, what, you know. What year did you start podcasting? Uh, four, I was I want to say like four years ago. Four, I think around 2015. It was, it was, uh, it was like me going to, uh, taking classes at the Apple uh, store. It really is, in fact, raining in L.A. This is wonderful. Um, I had no idea what to do, what it meant. Um, I just I just wanted to talk about uh, my agent at the time. I was like, I need more road work. And he was terrible. So he said, you should do a podcast. And I'm like, how about you call people? How about you call clubs, do a podcast so I can be one of the eight million other comics? Mm-hmm. So I was like, if I talk, I can't talk about comedy. Like if I, I love comedy, but if I, I can't be like, no, talk about comedy the whole is. time. 
That's well, what this is. This is your thing. But I'm like, <laughs> what can I do that won't drive me insane? I'm like, mm. I'll do sports. Because, you know, we're from the East Coast, so people just naturally start talking about sports. I mean, you walked in with a Red Sox hat, we started talking about baseball. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I still am doing this podcast with a Red Sox hat on. Like, okay, okay, okay. I put it out of here. <laughs> The no, hat, but it's so fun. Yeah, like we could talk about baseball for an like that's what's so great about sports. It's such a connector. Um, and in LA, it just it, there's no it's no fault of LA. It's just people from all over. They're all doing whatever random stuff. It's not a connector out here like it is on the East Coast. Like Philly, Boston, New York. I mean, we'll, we will cut you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. It's so fun to talk about sports, but LA, not really. Hmm. So when I started talking, so I would trap people at parties and they'd be like, get away from me. So I was like, all right, well, the podcast is at least a legitimate way I can talk about sports. So that's, I just started it. And, uh, so your agent talked you into it. Yeah. He was like, do So then I just was like, and so it takes, you know, how it is. It takes how to get equipment. My friend, Rebecca Corey did the first like 10 episodes from her. We were in her like living room with her seven dogs barking then, you know, I find, and then uh, I got on, uh, I know Bill Burr and, and Al Madrigal, I got on the All mm-hmm. Things Comedy Network, so that helped. I had a studio to actually go to. And now, it, uh, the last couple months, I've, I've stopped it to rebrand it, and I'm just going to be interviewing female uh, athletes and reporters and journalists. So I'm, I am, it feels like now my new full time job, and I'm so excited. I've done like five interviews so far with, um, soccer players. I've got my first WNBA player next week, and I'm like losing my mind. <laughs> like I'm so nervous mm-hmm. before I sit down and talk to these women that it, it feels like I'm starting stand up. Like that's how that's how it feels. Even though you're talking to them about the, this connector, yeah, and it's it all goes well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm just, like I feel like I, I feel like after it's over because it means so much mm-hmm. to me that. I feel like I, I have to go right to a bar. Like, I, I feel like I'm like, uh, oh, my God. It's, cra- it's crazy, but it's so fun. It is, is stopping to kind of level up and talk to athletes and journalists instead of other comedians, is that part of that what you referred to earlier as having the game plan and then burning it and starting over? Is that yeah. another example of that? Yeah, I, I think I think in a way, like I've always wanted to do this, you know, but it's like when you start out, who do you have access to? So I have immediate access to comics and I would try to curtail, like I would try to carve out the episode around like uh, our buddy Sharon Houston, right? Mm-hmm. She loves the Miami Dolphins. So, um, and then I would give them specific stories, right? Because I know I'm not talking to a person that has my level of obsession, right? So I would do a deep dive on everything about the Miami Dolphins. So that was fun for me, but but you get They're to a point where you're casual fans, yeah, and not have yeah, trivial knowledge, yeah. But when I can talk, so I always wanted to talk to athletes, and and I would, you know, it, it was just about this was a, a podcast that doesn't, you know, it's back burner stuff. It's not making you money, and mm-hmm. and you do it for for the love of it. But then I just realized I'm spending so much so much time and money on this. Like it, need, I need to retool this, you know. Um, it's also just a level of confidence. I was like, I'm not, if I reach out to a female athlete, like they're going to say yes, you know, and it turns out they do say yes. And I should have done this years ago, but I, Tom Pop and I were Tom Mm -hmm. and Cynthia there. I've known them, you know, God for 20 years. And, um, 
We were sitting around having a beer like in February, and Tom's like, you need to be the Ira Glass of, of sports. I was like, okay. And then he, he, he just like set this wheels in motion of like, and all of a sudden I was like doing a template, going out to, you know what I mean? You just feel like you need that push. You need someone being like, you know, you can do this. And then, so now I'm obsessed. It's my new lifelong pursuit. <laughs> was the um, mixologist in a movie, was that project also a passion or was that just an opportunity that came up? It was just my buddy, Sean in New York, calling me up. Uh, we're trying to do more this year because he's kind of been, he works for, he was a comic in New York. Is he, Sean Hollenbach? Yeah. Okay. All right. So Sean worked for, um, what's the parent company of, oh, A&E, right? Mm-hmm. So he worked for A&E and, uh, a long time ago. Then a c- couple years ago, they hired him again. And now he was working like Lifetime brand and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he called me up and he's like, I have this idea. And we just started spitballing and I would do that every week if I could. It's so fun. But of course they got the budget and I don't know if we're going to do it anymore, but it was, it was really, yeah. Did any of those air on TV or is it just all? It was, a lot of them was inter, yeah, it was just interstitials of whatever the movie that was airing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really super. And then I did some movie ones, um, uh, about twice a year I would do, uh, I don't know if they. I don't. I don't know if that was just for for corporate viewership or whatever. But I would take a movie that was in sponsorship for A and E, or A and E was. I don't know exactly what it was, and so I'd write the scripts to you know promoting the movie, but with a cocktail. Mm-hmm. I think it was when the movie was then going to be aired on the Lifetime Network or any other A and E. I would do the interstitials. Okay. Um, but there's nothing more fun than watching a Lifetime movie and ripping on it. And, like, Lifetime is like, that's super fun. And then adding some booze. And then adding a ton of liquor. Yeah. If the people at Grey Advertising see those, I like, mean, we were right to have the intervention. <laughs> I'm just getting hammered during Lifetime movies. That's a callback. Yeah. <laughs> that is a classic <laughs> callback. So it sounds as though you're in a... You're in a very happy spot right now. If I can keep going and uh, the, you know, the challenge creatively, I feel great. The mm-hmm. challenge is, is the fiscal, the fiscal challenge. Um, well, that was the challenge at the very beginning when you quit your day job. It's always going to be the challenge. You You're know, like, I'm just scraping by. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm not just scraping by, but some days it feels like it. It's just, it feels like now I'm re, like starting another, like almost like two other careers. Mm-hmm. But creatively, it feels so fun and challenging. And in the stand-up, uh, you know, I'll always love the stand-up. I'll always do the stand-up. But, um, you know, that's the dream. If I can, if I can uh, get the podcast rolling and make some cash off it and just talk to female athletes because it's so rewarding and then I just got hired on a on a sitcom writing gig, and then the network didn't pick it up. Oh. But I was so excited to get hired. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. you have – I have momentum, and, you know, to kind of write during the day and talk sports or do a sports show, whatever, and that's uh, – that'll that's really exciting. So even if you didn't end up with that game show hosting gig? Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't. You, the, it, this, this career is so insane. I always try to explain it to my girlfriend, and she's like, 
what you're doing, huh? Like, you know what I mean? It's so you have to shift gears and shift gears mm-hmm. and shift gears. But I, I feel like with stand up and being on the road, you know, and, and it's all, the, it's the same, it's the same conversation with comics that do this. Um, that's just kind of par for the course. You know, I, I knew, I always have known that I can't just keep going and do a stand up. If you take someone like Jackie Cation, like she's born just to do that. She's the president of stand-up comedy. <laughs> We're having coffee tomorrow. I'm obs- I, I, like whenever I get down the depths about stand-up, I'm like, Jackie, let's go write or let's go have coffee. And she just pours the energy back into me. You know what I mean? But I, and there's, she's, yeah, she's yeah. so focused, even though she has her own podcast where she talks about other passions. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she, she to me is, you know what I mean? But there's stand, a lot yeah, of people that are like, they are, this is, mm-hmm. and I, I fall into like, I think a category like adjacent, you know, I love it, but, um, I could, I could, I could, I could do it, you know, less and still be happy, you know, like I don't like this weekend, mm-hmm. I don't, my girlfriend's coming in. I don't have any sets. Not a problem. Well, it's a holiday weekend. It's a ho- you know what I mean? Next week I'm in Orlando doing g- g- gazillion shows. But, mm-hmm. but there are comics. We've, you, obviously, you know all of them. It's like that, they will do 10 this weekend. You know what I mean? And so that's why I'm like, I, I, it's important to me to pursue How, other things. What do, you, what do you think is the key to kind of maintaining that emotional balance for 20 years where whether the... Yeah. Finances are up or down or the yeah. credits are great or not great. Well, I, I, I What's think... What's the secret to keeping, keeping forward momentum? I, I think, I think like anything, like, and it's insane what stand-up is, at the end of the day, you, you really have to love the... You have to love the nitty-gritty process. And I love the nitty-gritty... Like, I love the challenge of, that's not working, how do I fix it? Um and you have to be insanely disciplined. But I always say this to young comics. Um, I say, like, the advice, if someone's like, oh, what's the advice? I say, two pieces of advice. Have the world's greatest personal life and don't drink before your shows. Because <laughs> the rest is just get up right, get up right, get up right, you know? Um, but I feel like I've been really lucky to have a very solid... Um, I have two wonderful sisters. I have great friends, wonderful girlfriend. Like, I, I, I feel like I, I, my sports is such an awesome outlet. I feel like you really have to have the, try to have the most stable, wonderful personal life because stand-up is a shit show. <laughs> it's wonderful, but it's insane. Um, you're, it's highs and lows, and when is this money going to come from? Where am I staying? I'm on this flight. Um, you're at 10C on United. I'm on 10C on United. I started taking like Southwest just to mix it up. I'm like, I, I got to get out. I just get out of here. No fault of United. Um, but yeah, I just think you, you have, for me, I've, I've been very dedicated to trying to have as much balance as I, as I possibly can. And, and now I've been at 20 years and I still, I'm not burnt out. I don't, I still love it. It's just the travel that's insane. But, um, you know, I haven't, I'll do one set this week. I have like four or five next week and I'll be excited, you know? So that, but I, again, that's just me, you know? So everybody's got their thing, but that's how I've survived. <laughs> well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking this deep dive with me. You're the best. I really appreciate it. So good to see you. Thank it's, you so much. It's going to be so great to see all the stuff you're doing this summer. I can't wait. I hope it comes true. <laughs> <laughs> 
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.